Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and I want to welcome you to Season 3 of Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with authentic and courageous leaders from all over the globe. You will learn from leaders you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolkit. Leadership belongs to all of us. It's not measured by stature or title. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. You know, it's been so interesting and I've I've talked about this a lot since we've been uh, experiencing unprecedented times. I'm not even going to say the the C word. And I have met so many amazing leaders around the globe. And I'm excited today because we're heading back down under to one of my favorite places and spaces to Australia. And I want to introduce you to an amazing leader. She's got such an interesting background. I hope I say her surname right or wrong. I've got a 50-50 shot. So let me tell you a little bit about Becky Peraz. And Becky, when you come on, you can tell me how well I pronunciated that or correct me. But Becky has over three decades in the construction industry, and she has demonstrated her unique leadership abilities on some of the most demanding projects in Australia. As a successful and industry-leading project manager, she's the director of two companies, a qualified coach, and a professional mentor. Becky has been and continues to be a much-requested speaker at both the state and national industry conferences. She's an experienced speaker on topics of leadership, confidence, resilience, and has presented globally on all of these topics. Through her childhood trauma, chronic pain due to a debilitating immunocondition, and the vast challenges of her career, Becky has never accepted anything less than achieving and surpassing her goals. She believes everyone needs the chance at a full life, no matter what the circumstances they were born into or grew up in. She's motivated to pass on her lessons to assist and educate the next generation of leaders to become high achievers like herself. So Becky, I'm so delighted. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Isn't it always fun when someone reads your bio and, and it gives you that moment of silence to reminisce and say, oh my gosh, have I really done that much? Has it been three decades? I was actually reading it. I'm like, wow, that chick sounds amazing. All oh, right, that's me. <laughs> I love it. So what I want to do is I want to lean into your leadership because your bio is so interesting. The work that you're doing is so interesting. So if you're ready, I'm going to ask you some leadership questions. Let's go. You're leading in a in a male-dominated world. Yes. You talk a lot about passion and resilience. And my question is going to be simple and a lot of people see this as something that's hard to do. And, and you've been open about your childhood and some of your health problems. Uh-huh. How do you find passion and resilience to get up every day to be better than Becky yesterday, especially when you're a single female in the sector that you're working in? Yeah, you say that's a simple question, um, but the answer is pretty complex. And I think you knew that. That was a trap for the unwary. So, look, it's 
it's not easy. That's you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fake it. There's no toxic positivity here, and you know, oh, it's just, I just feel it all the time. No, it's tough. So the immune condition I have is rheumatoid arthritis. So there's a lot of pain. There would be days where I would take an hour, two hours of stuff talk to get that ass out of bed. It's not necessarily the job, although sometimes the job did not inspire passion. It was the whole, it's the whole mindset of, you know, I live with pain, so it's always there. So get up and push through it. That's not a good enough excuse not to get out of bed. The job needs me. I'm important to it. I fulfill an important role. Without me, my team has no guide and leadership. Uh, without me, there's no checks and balances in some of the roles. Without me, there's no leadership in, in some of my more senior roles. So there's a lot of self-talk that goes into getting that passion, drive and motivation to simply start the day. It's been a bit easier. I've since for the last 12 years, I've been on a what's almost a, a chemotherapy type drug, which is an immune suppressant, which is fun during unprecedented times. But for the previous 12 years up until then, it actually gave me a lot of pain relief. So that, I, I, when I first got it and I went to back to work after taking a bit of time off, I actually got asked if I'd had a facelift. But, and I just was able to kind of experience that moment of, oh, this is what I look like without constant pain, which was amazing and a really nice realisation that I actually was pain-free. And that's, you know, that's been a good Good thing to remember over the last 12 years when it just gets a bit tough. It's kind of, I used to do it a lot worse. I used to have a lot more pain comparatively. And I still got out of bed, put my boots on and got to work and did 12-hour days. So, you know, I kind of, in coaching, they call it stacking the bases. But what that means, I basically give myself no excuse to fail. You know, I don't, <laughs> I don't tolerate being emotional, being sad, not feeling like it, that's not good enough reason to not get out of bed and cheat. Particularly, as you said, when my overall motivation is, is about improvement and being a better person than the one I was the day before. You know, that's the ultimate in competing is that self-improvement of am I better? Have I achieved more? Have I gone further towards my goal today than what I did yesterday? In which case I'm winning in life and I'm achieving what I want and therein lies that passion and motivation and resilience and the measures by which I check my own success despite what externally may be going on. And that is very important in a male-dominated environment. You know, it is. And, and I, I want to say thank you for, for kind of giving us a little glimpse of a day in the life of you and, and experiencing pain. And, and it leads nicely. I'm going to change the format of the questions here because what I wanted to ask you is my third question. I'll segue nice into this one. When you have a team and you are leading authentically and you're trying to be authentic and and really have humility for self like you said there's there's a bit of a process each day and and the pain is a constant and it's okay like where are we at right now in doing that measurement and that self audit how do you lead your team when you know that you might be failing forward you've got pain but you've got deadlines how do you communicate with your team to let them know kind of this is where i'm at today Share with us that mindset and how you kind of lay out that form of authenticity. So they know, I'm just going to use what we do in the medical system. You know, I'm not a 10 out of 10, not that any of us are. I'm referring to a pain scale here, folks that are listening. You know, today I'm at a seven. This is what I need from you. I think our listeners would really appreciate 
hearing, even when you push through, you can put strategy in place so that you can communicate from a vulnerable standpoint, a heart-centered standpoint, so your team knows where you're at. Just kind of walk us through a day when you've had a hard time and what that looks like. Okay. So part of that is the process I put in place with all of the teams that I've run as a part of establishing leadership and rapport at the beginning. And that is that I am very open and I communicate. I also identify what aspects my team members are good at and give them a lot of power in that space. So I don't run my teams traditionally. I never have. I'm not big on tradition, if you might not have already guessed that with the role that I have done for my, my career. So while I have a structure and they have roles, what I tend to do is identify very quickly what they're good at. So one particular team I'm thinking of, you know, one young man, I, I hired him in the face of all resistance. No one else wanted to hire him. They didn't see potential. Um, and I did. So I insisted and he was very patient and very happy to repeat himself. I'm not good at those things. You know, I hate repeating myself. Like I said it once, if you haven't taken notes or listened, that's on you, not me. So I'm a very, very impatient person in that regard. And he had the complete opposite skills that I needed. So I put him into training. I put him into the, the system that we were using and that my team was responsible for all the data and updates and various things to do with. And I put him in charge of being the person to go and train all the new users, to go and, you know, solve problems, help desk, almost that sort of thing. And so by doing that and identifying people's skills and empowering them in that space, they might still have to do other duties they're not great at, but they have this one thing that they're really good at and that they have a lot of power within that. And I'm very clear on the boundaries where they can go and up to where they can make their decisions. So when that is in place, when I'm having a bad day, I don't need to leave my team because they are self-leading. And that's what I like to really empower. It took me a long time to realise as a very young female, and probably for fairly obvious reasons if you think about it, it took me a long time to realise I don't have to do it all. I am a control freak and a perfectionist, so that was really hard to let go of and allow other people to kind of not do it as well and not do it the way I would have done it, take longer to do it. Really struggled with a lot of that stuff and letting go. But once I practiced it, I realized the power of it. You know, I wasn't exhausted. I wasn't doing all the extra hours. I wasn't feeling responsible for everything. I could delegate and relax because of the structure that I put in place, as I've just discussed. So when I'm having a bad day, I can simply tell my team, don't bring me problems today. You know, if it's critical, you better come with solutions because I'm not interested. I don't have the time. I don't have the bandwidth. I don't have the heart space. I don't, I've got nothing. You know, I'm here because I have to be here. That's my achievement for the day. Anything else is almost too much to expect. So make it good, you know. And I work in construction. So the ways in which that's, you know, passed on can be expressive and you know, use a lot of construction words, which, you know, might sound like cuss words to some other people. But at the end of the day, I have a very loyal team because I've given them the power, because I've trusted them and guided them and I've got their back. Like my thing with my team is if you stuff up, tell me first. Tell me before it escalates, before other people find out. Give me a chance to have your back so that when someone comes rushing at me going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, I can go, hang on a minute, it's all sorted. You know, I will defend my team because that's how you build loyalty. 
as long as they give me the space and the power to do so. So there's that reciprocation. And once that's been proved and established and tested and tried and, and the trust is there, yeah, I can pretty much just sit at my desk um, and just be present and know that my team will have my back, do their very best, go over and above and, you know, protect me somewhat. Like I've, I've had people who've literally turned, you know, meetings away going, no, she can't do it. She's she's too busy. She's in another meeting. She's on the phone. Like whatever reason they've made up for me, they've turned people away knowing I just can't deal with that or have the capacity on that day. So that's, that's I think, a really powerful process for anyone. Like you don't have to be in pain or, you know, anything like what I've experienced in order to put that in place and have, you know, some easy days, as it were. You know, those were great days for just catching up on all the other stuff, you know, clearing the desk and putting the paperwork away and, you know, ticking off some boxes that kind of aren't important but need to be done at some point. So reviewing documents where it's a very solitary space and you don't have to interact. So, you know, my team knew that I'd be there for them all the other times so they could be there for me. Um, and that also helps with the power balance too. By, by allowing them to have those days, they felt better. They learnt leadership. They were able to give back. And so that adjusts that power balance where I'm not the boss so much that I am the leader. And they're two very, very different energetic words, particularly in the space of engineering because there's so many managers who are neither bosses nor leaders. Well, and, and you've made so many good points there to unpack, but I, I love the model of, of what you said. You always have their back and they have yours, stemming from the foundation of trust and rapport. And I often say on the podcast, it doesn't matter where we work in the world, we're borderless with technology. Like here, here we are speaking right now. I'm in Canada, you're in Australia. It's clear as day. It's night for me and day for you. But even sector, it doesn't matter what sector we work in. You're in the construction sector. I'm in coaching. We're in a borderless society, but the intersection is we're all in the people business. Indeed. And when you build that trust and rapport, just as you beautifully, you know, elated to, you've got the foundation and you've got the trust built and your team has your back, but that's where the reciprocation comes, not transactionally. You honor, my definition of heart-centered leadership, honoring your connection with people and the reciprocation is soft skills. Yes. It's not transactional and, okay, I did this for you, you do that for me. And I, I love the way you described that. Now, my next question has permanent residency on the show. You've already said that you're a control freak and a perfectionist, so you can't say those. Share with us another Share with us another imperfection that you bring to your heart-centered leadership. I guess an easy one. I'm stubborn. <laughs> I will not give in. I will not give up. I will drive myself into the ground to achieve something, especially if you tell me I can't. Uh, hence construction. It takes a lot for me to let go or leave something behind. Yeah, which and stubborn is not necessarily a bad thing. It can. I've had some toxic stubborn moments, I must admit, because I refuse to let go. But yeah, stubborn in that, you know, my disease won't beat me, my childhood won't beat me, the bloody men I work with won't beat me, um, this job won't beat me, this environment won't beat me, this challenge won't beat me. 
Um, and, it, and it shows a lot in my career. I've usually ended up with the jobs no one else wants and been very good at them. And I've ended up on projects that are problematic and, and sort of have a lot of troubles because I'm naturally drawn to the challenge of providing solutions. That's what gives me a lot of satisfaction. But yeah, the, the other imperfect attribute I, I've thrown in there is stubbornness. And what I love about that, though, is sometimes your stubbornness can take that fixed mindset, which you don't have, and it's like an open gateway for you to have the growth mindset. You'll take on the job. You're not seeing the barriers or, you know, all the problems. You just go in with this solution-oriented growth mindset. And to me, that comes from a visceral place of resilience, which... I think you've shown over the decades and, 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 and what you so easily talk about. And a lot of people struggle to have courage, to have resilience. So I think you've done extremely well, given all the things that you've shared with us so far. Thank you. Now, my last leadership question, I, I can't wait to ask you this. <laughs> Because of the sector that you work in, in construction, and you work a lot with men and engineers, the, 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 those high, bless their souls, analytical thinkers, mm-hmm. you've always got your risk management umbrella open. That's the first space that you have to go, right? Liability, you're at a very high level. Yes, absolutely. Share with us why it's a girl's best friend. Ah, you've been doing the stalking on my pages. So that's the topic of the first chapter I ever wrote for an anthology contribution and gave me kind of the bug for writing as well. It's a girl's best friend because it's a secret we're not told. It's a mindset that we are not trained into as a, as a general statement. It is something that is quite unique to high-risk environments like construction. And it is an amazing skill set when you master it because what it allows you to do is look very, very, what's the word, tunnel vision, on what the actual problem is instead of conflating it with emotion, other elements, and getting into a space of overwhelm, which is something I find almost uniquely feminine. And that contrast just comes to me by working with a lot of men. The example I use in my chapter is kind of a funny one, but it it actually did happen to me. I saw this process and that kind of really highlighted to me the difference between females and how they kind of tend to get into overwhelm and stack all their problems on one problem and make it bigger versus what men do. And so this this particular person spilled coffee on her shirt uh, early morning and proceeded to have this almost meltdown over the fact that, you know, she went from spilling coffee on her shirt to kind of her kids were going to grow up homeless. And when I kind of was just sitting there going, how did you get from that place to to where you are now having almost a panic attack? And she kind of, you know, broke it down. I was like, well, you know, I've got to change my shirt. That's going to make me late because I don't think I've got one ready. So I'm going to have to iron and, you know, do all the prep things. You know, I'm probably going to lose my job. Um, uh, you know, I might not be able to get another job because I won't get a good reference. You know, my kids are going to end up homeless kind of. And, you know, so this she built this whole story. And when I kind of just chucked a bit of a pat and up there and went, um, you don't have children right now, though. She kind of, yeah, I know. And it seems really obvious and it is amusing. 
but she was full-blown already predicting this entire future for herself. And I was just, I was watching in amazement because I'd never really seen this process happen in front of me before. But also the extremes that she went to were just mind-blowing for me. And because I'd worked with men and worked with men so much, I have that real contrast of why I would never, ever, never see a man do that. Apart from the fact they couldn't care less if they spill coffee on themselves because they've just got different priorities and we don't judge men visually for what they're wearing as much as we do women, societally speaking. But I just, you would never see a man do that, particularly if he didn't have kids. Like they're very much in the now and what's happening today kind of space, which is a skill I think we females could take on a little bit. And this is where the risk management comes in, in kind of going, well, what's the actual risk? And the risk is judgment in that space. You know, there's no other risk other than coffee. If you haven't burnt yourself, there is no risk with leaving that coffee on your shirt other than maybe the stain won't come out or judgment. And that is where I I have some interesting conversations, particularly around the, the sort of the female-centric space, where I go, it's women who judge other women for that. The men probably won't even notice the coffee stain, but women will. And we do ourselves a disservice by focusing on that and prioritising that as a judgment on that female rather than going, clearly she's having a bad day and wasn't a good start to the day. I wonder if I could help her out. I wonder if I could support her. I wonder if I could just make her day better by giving her a smile. Generally speaking, we drop straight to judgment and assess her housekeeping and cleanliness skills on a coffee stain. And we don't support each other in that space with that kind of mindset. That's a bit of an aside. So using risk management kind of takes all that overwhelm and explosiveness out of the actual issue, allows you to identify the actual issue and then assess how likely it is and how what the consequences are of, of the outcomes. And then kind of put that into a, a perspective like the coffee stain. Now, we use this in, in construction and that, you know, can have massive consequences. If we have a, a spill of some sort of chemical, we can have lives impacted. So it's it's a bigger deal and there's much more tech, like technology and technique around it than the sort of the simplicity I've described here. But that simplicity can still be used in life. And I, I, I'm a, you know, I use it every day. I use it in my personal life. And I just, it's one of my passions, I suppose, to really bring that knowledge and understanding to women, to give them space, to, to, to allow them to use less energy in managing issues, to allow them more control over the space that they're in instead of overwhelm and emotions taking over and really be slightly more practical because we as women, and I, and I know it's a part of the training in society, but we really do collectively bring our emotions into things a lot more than the males do. And while that isn't bad, that allows us things like the soft skills, rapport and all those wonderful things, when it becomes a bit toxic, it leads into those other spaces where if we just had a bit more risk management understanding, we wouldn't need to go. So that's, you know, that's kind of one of my uh, soapboxes, I guess. And you can probably tell that from my answer. (laughs) Well, there's two things I want to kind of circle back on is... I think you're right. I think it's it's not in our wheelhouse for training. I think it is gender specific, which has to change. 
And it's just so interesting to me, you know, we talk about lift and rise other women and there's a lot more lip service than there is actionable behavior. I love that. It needs to change. Yeah, that that phrase. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Deeds, not words. Yes. Actions. That's like super powerful. And the second thing, I totally forgot what I was going to say, which is why I love this show. It's imperfect. See? (laughs) See what happens? I told you. Things can crop up. Did I say your surname properly at the beginning of the show? You you did. You did very well. Um, Most Americans try and put a bit of an accent on it or they kind of use um, a more Latina um, the expression is actually French, but in Australia, we just, we ossify it. So paras and you, you did really well. Well, and see, and, and I'm Canadian. So I, I've even done it even, you know, I, I had a 50, 50 chance. I, I, you did. I had a risk management mindset going into it. I was like, Hey, she's going to tell see? me it's a win-win. I, 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 I went in, I went in with the growth mindset thinking she's either going to say good on you Deb or Deb you slayed it this is how you say it so there you go um but how much energy did you save not worrying about that I didn't worry as a really good example for the audience instead of stressing and thinking you might offend me etc you just kind of went well I'm right or I'm wrong and and moved on and that's that's that risk mindset that I love yeah Here's, here's what's interesting that I've never shared on the show. I didn't have a good childhood. So we could probably have a Zoom coffee and have a really deep conversation about that, which we probably will someday. Sure. I, I grew up with a patch on my eye. They didn't know what was wrong with my eye. So bullied by the kids. Mm-hmm. We've had some similar, I'm going to call emotional traumatic intersections. Mm-hmm. But man, let me tell you, is it not the gateway to resilience? Yes, that's the short answer. Yeah, it is. Once you allow yourself to recover, um, and that is a process, but it is possible, um, there's really nothing else that can smash you ever again once you find that place of confidence and resilience beyond that because of what you've been through. And that is one of the most powerful places to be. It is. And, you know, I've had knee pain for a year. And I just got diagnosed with arthritis. So I can't even fathom what you deal with on a daily basis, but it's not fun having pain every day. And I, no. when you say, I got to, I got to prime myself in the oh. morning and pump myself to get up. Like ice is my best friend, but you know, it's like anything else. Arthritis motion is lotion. Like you got to keep moving. And there's days where you're like that little engine, right? So I just love the vulnerability that you show because you do have a very powerful job. You're in a very male dominated sector and you could do the poor me. You don't have time. Oh God, no. It's a waste of energy. It's, but it, but you chose it. I did. Yeah. And I, you know, the whole energy management, you and I could do a whole other show on that. And then some, absolutely. (laughs) So I'm going to switch to my fab four. And these are just four rapid questions. Just whatever's sitting on the top of that brilliant mind of yours. Okay, first question. Okay. Tell us something that we don't know about you. I have a degree in aromatherapy. There you go. And is that a modality for you in addition to Western medicine and, and other things that you've done? Yes. Well, well, it was a part of the exploration of all the other things that might help with the arthritis. 
and being an engineer, I kind of, you know, okay, so some science behind it, great, let's do it, just do a course, let's do a degree. I just, I'm just one of those people who's like, oh, there's a course, I'll do the whole thing and know everything about it. It's, you know, see perfectionism and, and all those other things. I love aromatherapy oils. They're amazing, yeah. they're beautiful. They, you know, can create a mood and alter your mood. And I just, I really enjoy it. I'm not up there with the whole, you know, frankincense cures, arthritis and all that sort of stuff. I think that yeah. it's a complementary medicine because it complements all the other things. Exactly. What works for one doesn't work for the other. Yes. And that engineering analytical mind of yours found the intersection and it was like, okay, here's where I'm going to slate that in. Let's move on. I love it. Mm. Okay. Second question. What is the book that you've read in your life that was really, really impactful? Tell us the title and the author. Oh, you've no idea how challenging that one is because I'm an avid reader and what you see behind me is one of about 15 bookshelves in my house. I was an early reader. I was reading Dickens and uh, Conan Doyle, which is Joel Combs, excuse me, um, before I was 10. So Great Expectations by Charles Dickens. While it is overblown by today's standards and it's very melodramatic, it is also an amazing piece of writing. But what it did for me as a child is kind of, you know, when you're less than eight, you have you struggle to distinguish between fiction and nonfiction because the world is still growing and, you know, you want to believe in magic and dragons and fairies in the bottom of the garden. So reading something like Great Expectations allowed me the space to kind of go, you know, maybe, maybe my life isn't meant to be this way. Maybe there's a benefactor out there. Maybe I swapped at birth. Maybe one day that ship's coming in and I'm going to live the life I want and not this one. Now, fortunately, that wasn't quite true. But one of the things I use in my speeches is I talk about how that led me to understand that I could be my own benefactor, that I can create the life that I want, that is not bound by the life that I was raised in or the beliefs and the mindset that I was brainwashed to have. There's no other word for it. You know, when someone repeatedly tells you the same things and expects you to believe it, it's called brainwashing. And unfortunately, that is what a lot of abuse is. People talk about physical abuse as a terrible thing. Psychological abuse is far more insidious and takes far longer to overcome because you don't even know the messages you were told from such a young age and you can't recognise that you are repeating them until someone sort of interrupts that pattern and goes, why are you telling yourself that? Why are you being so mean to yourself when you would never do that to anyone else? And so within that space of all these things that I was told, there was still this benefactor hope and dream. And so allowing my growth to start to encompass, well, what if I rescued myself? What if I was my own benefactor? What if I was the solution? that I'm waiting externally to happen. And therein led sort of the exploration through coaching and NLP and, and all of those sorts of things and mindset and how the brain works and big explorations through all those spaces to allow me to get to where I am today. And I did and became my own benefactor. I now create the life that I want. I like to call that life, life by design. Indeed. You know, um, life by choice. You know, choice is another thing because we, we when we react to stimulus 
from a place of automation, we are not making choices. Others are making choices for us. And so getting very clear on who we are, what we want, and then making choices in alignment with that, regardless of what that little voice or external voices say, is then when we start to live by design exactly. Absolutely. Love that. Um, I know that's probably a bit longer than than you're expecting with the rapid answers, but as you can tell, I'm really passionate about these topics. I can see that. Okay, (laughs) third question. I'm granting you a wish. And you get to have dinner with any leader in the world. And the context is the leader could be living or passed away. Without thinking, who is the leader and what is the dinner conversation? Uh, What pops to mind is Leonardo da Vinci. Now, whether he was a leader, I suppose, I'm not sure. But anyway, that's the one who came to mind. And my God, what a mind. His inventions and science and the exploration that his brain did back in that time would absolutely be the topic of conversation. It would go for days, probably weeks. There you go. You might even, hey, it's, you know what? I, I, I've had some similarities on that question, but that's the first time we've had him. So that's interesting. Okay. okay before I close out the show with my, my last uh, question, and it's a sentence that I asked all my guests to answer. I just want to say, I'm glad our, our paths have crossed. It's been so delightful to interview you. And, and I love the presence that you have in a male dominated sector. And I think there's nothing else to say other than keep leading and you go girl. Thank you. Thank you. You're such a great role model for so many. And uh, I look forward to, to keeping in touch. And just, I love that you exude that confidence and that resilience and that trust that you talk about in your own life and in your leadership. So thanks for spending time with me today. Thank you for allowing me to. So last question is, finish this sentence for me. Heart-centered leadership is? Heart-centered leadership is... Showing up to the dirty work and getting through it with yourself intact. Thanks for joining me today on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed the show today and learned some new tools for your leadership from our amazing Heart-Centered guest. And if you like the show, we would welcome a rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And we would love to have any comments or feedback at any time. And if you want some more heart-centered goodness, head over to our daily blog, masteringtheheart.com.